welcome to episode 45 of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrand. And I'm Jess Rubenstein. Thank you for joining us this week. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. The NHL is still in action, and since its return, it has not disappointed. So now is your chance to win some money while you watch the games at home. Bet Online has lines, spreads, and props on every game this season, so you never have to worry about missing out on the action. They even have lines on AHL and international games, so you have the chance to earn even more. But whether you're looking to place a bet on the NHL, international hockey, or any other sport, Bet Online has you covered. So head on over to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. This is Believe in Hockey Prospects, the show all about discussing the future stars in the game of hockey. We believe in the future. Do you believe? This week, we have some news about the Women's Frozen Four, the Mike Richter Award finalists, and some upsets in the college hockey world. But first, the BCHL looks to be almost out of time to begin their season. According to Bob Mackin of the Breaker News, BCHL Commissioner Chris Hebb sent a letter to government officials in British Columbia appealing for the Junior A-League to be exempt from the mass gathering order. Mackin also writes that the letter includes the plan for owners to vote on March 4th to cancel the season if the league cannot meet its March 3rd deadline to return to play. The BCHL are currently looking to have a 20-game regular season with five pods in different communities. Just as we know, we have a lot of hockey making its return, but not everyone is going to be able to come back. Two weeks ago, the Brampton Beast of the ECHL, the affiliate of the Ottawa Senators, announced they will cease operations. How bad would it be for the BCHL to miss out on playing from March to May if they can't get the green light? I think several teams would be in financial trouble. We're looking at a really serious situation now. These little teams, like in the major juniors and junior A, they don't get television revenue on a regular basis, like, say, the NHL does or the college hockey. They're relying on the attendance revenue. We've been asking them to just hold on and hold on and hold on. I mean, if you look at the Quebec League, which has started, stopped, started, stopped, they just restarted this past weekend. Still, some teams are just not able to play. So in like British Columbia, the WHL, their BC division still does not have a start date because the health authorities just simply haven't given any guidance. Uh, the Portland Winterhawks are going to have to play up in Seattle in the U.S. division because Oregon hasn't made a decision on whether they'll allow hockey or not. Teams are trying to play. They want to get these players back out on the ice. It's really being ineffective. Uh, this past weekend, we saw Edmonton, Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, and Red Deer. They got to start. They played two games. The Central Division is going to play again. And then around the 16th, they're hoping the U.S. Division will be playing they still don't know. The OHL is talking like maybe April or May, they'll play a, a short schedule. Only really the Quebec League has gotten to play about 30 some odd games right now. They might get up to maybe 40, 45. It's going to be really hard for the NHL and their scouts to try to figure out who the heck to draft. There's a growing call, Luke, right now for 
the NHL to move the draft from July into December because hopefully they're hoping that next season will get underway at a normal time. But speaking of which, we could talk about it. Medicine Hat and Edmonton this weekend were just so dominant, especially Edmonton. They just tore apart a Lethbridge teams that was missing their Europeans. They were missing their best player. They scored seven goals a game. I mean, their front line, oh, my God. Edmonton's got a first line of Dylan Guthier, Cade Oliver, and Jake Neighbors. I mean, of the three, you knew Gunther and you knew Neighbors. Cade Oliver is a highly touted prospect. He's a center. He went 3-4-7 over the weekend with a plus six. Took 10 shots on goal. He had two power play goals, a power play assist. He had the game-winning goals in both games. This kid, watch this kid's name. He's going to be a stud in the NHL. It's so good to have the WHL back. If you're a St. Louis Blues fan, you have to love what you see out of Jake Neighbors. And any team who drafts Dylan Gunther in the first round next year will have a great pro player on their hands, in my opinion. But I think the Brampton beast of the ECHL really put in perspective for how hard it is on some of these teams to not get back out on the ice. We hear people talk at the NHL level saying it would make more sense financially to cancel the season and come back in a year. But this year, we're playing as a favor to the fans. That's not the case across the board. Brampton needed to get back out there to generate something to keep them above water. And now that they couldn't make it happen, they're gone for good. I don't think missing a season will kill the BCHL as a league, but it's already starting to screw some teams because of the current situation at hand. I know Brian Passmore of Coachin Valley said he was having a hard time making the decision about some of his older players, the kids who are in their last year of eligibility. Obviously, he wants to keep them, but he had to put some serious thought into trading them to give those players a shot at playing actual hockey this season if there is going to be no BCHL hockey. At the end of the day, it's really clear that everyone involved with the BCHL feels handcuffed by the government not communicating with them. I also saw a former NHLer Gary Volk has started a petition to put some pressure on some government officials. I believe the petition is already past 3,000 signatures, and hopefully it will get some more traction this coming week. But like I said before, it's really putting everyone in a bad spot. I hope the players are able to get some form of good out of it, regardless of what form that good comes in the thing about it was with the echl they went into this season canceling the season for the canadian-based teams the brampton beast wasn't a team that struggled at the gate they were a well-supported team in brampton which is a really good hockey town to see that they had to fold the shop totally and i'm sorry to say this but you're going to see unfortunately this is just the first of many teams who will not survive the pandemic. I'm seeing teams in the AJHL, Junior A League in Alberta, they're starting to hint that if they not only don't get government support, but they get back on the ice, they're in danger of folding up shop. At a time when hockey is starting to grow, we badly need to get more teams, but it looks like we're going to start seeing fewer teams, unfortunately. I know people are going, well, you know, hockey is a sport, And, you know, it shouldn't be any special effort made on their behalf while there's people out there suffering. Hockey players are suffering, too. They also have been hit with 
COVID. I mean, take a look at Boston University, Luke. I mean, COVID has just ravaged that team, not once, not twice, but it's hit them a third time. I mean, they even played this past weekend with one goalie because they didn't have anybody else they could put in on the bench because of the COVID protocols. Jess, since you brought up college hockey, I think it's time for us to talk about the large amount of college hockey news in front of us. And I'd like to start with the ladies because ESPN has acquired the rights to broadcast the Women's Frozen Four in a multi-year deal. The deal starts this year and will begin with the first semifinal on March 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3, followed by the second semifinal at 7 p.m. on the 18th and the national championship at 7.30 on March 20th. Those games will be broadcast on ESPNU. You'll also be able to stream those games on the ESPN app. But Jess, this is huge for the women of college hockey. What do you think of them moving their Frozen Four to ESPN? I think it's a great start for women's college hockey. They work in many ways harder than the guys because they have to constantly fight for recognition. We've seen it in the Olympics. We see it at the women's pro level. I really think that this is hopefully a sign of expansion. I'd love to see, you know, ESPN has the ways and the means with their ESPN Plus app. They already show women games on the app. If you don't have ESPN Plus, you should. You can see a lot of college hockey. You can see some NHL hockey. And it's like, what, I think six bucks a month. It's awesome. It's worth it. Check out a women's game if you can. It's sad that women's hockey is still not getting the respect it deserves in 2021, but it's been kind of cool to watch the game grow in real time. I think back all the way to 2014, my brother was at Quinnipiac, and it was their first time hosting the Women's Frozen Four. The university had to beg people to come to the game. It was free admission, and my brother said there was never more than 50 people in the arena at any time. The game has grown so much since then. I even think back to 2019, my own senior year at Quinnipiac. They hosted the Women's Frozen Four again. They were selling ticket packages. And from what I remember, there was a very good turnout. Having ESPN pick this up, I think, is a great opportunity for people to get their eyes on the game and introduce people on a national level to one of the best variations of hockey because the game these women play is so much better than a lot of people think. And I'm excited for the entire nation to get the chance to watch these girls play on cable TV. It's super exciting, and I can't wait to watch on March 18th. If I get a chance to watch the women play, I take that opportunity every chance I get. And I'm telling you, people, if you get a chance to watch the women's game, you will just be like, I am hooked on them because you just love the hard work and the work ethic that they put into these games. It's a well-played, graceful game. You don't see the dirty play and the cheap shots like you do at the NHL level. There's no running goalies. Oh, and by the way, you know, since we're talking about the women, you know that they're actually going to come up with a women's version of the Richter Award, too, this year. They haven't given it a full name yet, but it's going to be awarded during the Women's Frozen Four, and I'm looking forward to seeing that, too. Just speaking of the Mike Richter Award, you bring up our next story. We have the finalists now. For the Mike Richter Award this year, the award is given to the best D1 goalie. We've got nine finalists, and they include Spencer Knight from Boston College, Jack LaFontaine from Minnesota, Strauss Mann from Michigan, Dryden McKay from Minnesota State, Merrick Mittens from Lake Superior State, Keith Petruzzelli from Quinnipiac, Blake Pietela from Michigan Tech, Adam Shield from North Dakota, and Jackson Stauber from Providence. Jess, I don't want to give away my pick, but what do you think of the list of guys we have for the award this year? 
you're looking at some serious future NHL goalies here. I'm pretty sure it's probably going to come down to, you know, Knight and Fontaine, you know, because they've got the name recognition. But McKay of Minnesota State, typical Minnesota State team, they're in it. He's just a junior. Blake Patella of Michigan Tech, he doesn't get any recognition because he's playing for an under-the-radar tech team. But again, like I said, it's probably going to come down to Knight and Fontaine. You said it very well. I think all nine of these guys are phenomenal talents who had fantastic seasons this year. They've got bright futures ahead of them. With that said, though, I don't think there's any chance that we see someone win this award other than Spencer Knight. Like we said about Cole Caulfield and the Hobie Award, name value goes a long way. He's got some great stats this year to back up his fantastic name value. 14-2-1 record, 502 saves, a 198 goals against, and a 937 save percentage. The only person on this list with a better save percentage than him is Blake Piedela with a 939, so they're neck and neck. I really only think that there's two people on this list who are going to give him a run for their money. Jack LaFontaine is a fantastic goalie, but Minnesota as a top-tier program we've seen all year does not really get the respect they deserve. So the two guys I have in mind, Dryden McKay from Minnesota State. The teams he's played this year weren't as good as the teams that Boston College played, but he has a nasty stat line. He's rocking a 15-2 and record with eight shutouts, a 1.3 goals against, and a 9.33 save percentage. I also think Keith Petroselli has a shot at this, and that's purely because of the number of minutes he had in net this year. 1,463 minutes of playing time between the pipes. Jack LaFontaine being the closest person to him from this list with 1,273 minutes. And Petrozelli also had a fine season, was very important to Quinnipiac and their success this year. But at the end of the day, I know that nothing is a lock, especially this year. But we've got the most well-known goalie from the list with fantastic numbers. He's been on one of, if not the best team in the league. He's got to be the favorite. I think Spencer Knight is as close to a lock as you can get with that saying. He's got probably the best supporting cast of the nine that are involved. If you went strictly on the play, then, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Patella and Petruzzi. We talk about how important goalies are to their team. Well, these two guys are the number one reason why their team are having the season that they're having. And since we're cutting it a little close on time, let's go over the big stories from this week. Since we last spoke, we've seen three teams clinch their regular season conference championships, those being AIC in Atlanta Hockey, North Dakota in the NCHC, and Minnesota State in the WCHA. Since Hockey East announced they will not have a regular season champion, we are still waiting on the ECAC and Big Ten. In the Usho poll, not much change in the top 10. Minnesota Duluth down to 10 from number 8. UMass up to 9 from number 10. And BU up to 8 from number 11. The top three have not changed, though. Minnesota State is still at 3 with one first-place vote. North Dakota still at 2 with 12 first-place votes. And Boston College still at number 1 with 27 first-place votes. And as for the games, we had a lot of action this weekend, but I want to discuss with you, Jess, the big upsets that we saw. First up, newly crowned at number nine, UMass took down the Kings of the Castle as they beat Boston College 3-2 in overtime. There was more trouble in Boston as number eight, Boston University, dropped their game to Merrimack 2-5. Number three, Minnesota State, was on the wrong end of an overtime victory against number 19, Bemidji State. The Mavericks lose that game 3-4 in extras. Then number six, St. Cloud State, couldn't keep up with number 10, Minnesota Duluth 
as they dropped their game one to five. And lastly, number seven, Michigan tied in their game Saturday against Arizona State with a final score of one to one. So just lots of action and only one more week of regular season play. Where do you see the big dogs standing after this crazy weekend of hockey? This is a weird season. I don't view what UMass did against Boston College as that big of an upset. I think UMass has underperformed, but I think they've underperformed this year. St. Cloud State, man, I don't know what's with that team. They had such a great start, and then they went into a funk. And Maybe they're coming out of it. Then they fall right back into it. So I think that we're looking at a close your eyes and just throw the dart to see who's going to be the best team at the end. And you know what? You know who we haven't been talking about? We haven't said anything about North Dakota at all this year. They're the number one team in many people's eyes. I think this weekend means a couple of things, but you bring up the best point, Jess. I don't think anyone benefits from this weekend more than North Dakota. The Boston College loss means that the discussion for the number one team in the nation becomes a little more one-sided. These two teams have been so neck and neck all year to see who will be the top dog. And both of them have never really found themselves in the lost column often this year. North Dakota, though, they have more wins and they also haven't even lost at home this year. The race has been so close between them the past few weeks, and now I think North Dakota finally has that definitive edge to be the best team in the nation. Another team that I think really benefits from this weekend, too, is Wisconsin. They won't move up to anything crazy like number two, but I can totally see a three or a four in their future. I mean, Minnesota State had that tough loss against Bemidji State. That's going to drop them down on the list. And Minnesota is a fantastic team. They're really great, but but they didn't play this past weekend. That's two games that they don't have to bolster their record. And if you look at their head-to-head record, Jess, Wisconsin's 3-1 and one against Minnesota this year. I know every voter values each criteria differently, but I don't think that head-to-head record should be taken lightly. I think there's reason to expect Wisconsin to move up in the next poll. But for the people going in the wrong direction, I don't think a loss here hurts a BC or a Minnesota State in the grand scheme of things. They're both top five teams. They're not going to have their plans derailed by this past weekend. I think the teams who need to be concerned, though, are those teams in the middle of the pack trying to work their way up, the Boston universities and the St. Cloud States. We look at BUBU had all the momentum in the world. They lost their first game this season to Providence. But after that, aside from one overtime loss to Boston College, they've been perfect ever since. But then you look at a team like Merrimack. Merrimack's had a very tough season. They've had some wins to hang their hat on. They've beaten UMass and Providence, so we know they can compete. But that was their fifth win this season, Jess. BU can't be dropping those kinds of games on their schedule, especially this late in the season. And as for St. Cloud, I wouldn't be too concerned. The only thing that would worry me is the further they dip down in the rankings, the less likely they are to have a good seed come tournament time. Because there shouldn't be any real difference among the 16 teams that make the tournament between the number three and the number four or the six and the eight spots. But the difference between an eight and a 10 might be a lot. The selection committee is going to have a lot on their plate. And if you end up as a three seed in a regional, it's not very likely you'll see your home ice again unless we see some upsets coming from every direction. The tournament committee is going to have to take in account how many times COVID has hit a team. You talked Boston University. Boston University has just been ravaged by COVID. One goalie slipped and fell on the ice just walking down the street and got hurt. Then you had another goalie who was supposed to be the starter all season. He came down with COVID, so he's been out. He's just 
getting the okay to get on skates and start practicing. So there's been times where Boston University dressed one goalie, as we talked about earlier. If I'm going to go with the top four right now, I'm still going to go with the Minnesota State, North Dakota, Boston College, and Minnesota, or Bowling Green. We can't discount Bowling Green. They've had their ups and downs, too. But if you want to see these guys, I say throw all five names in a hat and pick them out. And that's how you're going to wind up with who your top four seeds are going to be at the NC2As. There's going to be a couple of teams that could make it, but because of COVID and their inability to put a full team on the ice, are going to see themselves on the outside looking in. And it's it's a sad thing, but it's an unfortunate reality this year. So I think that when we come down to it, the winner of the Frozen Four just might wind up with an asterisk next to their name because they were the only team to survive COVID. It's going to be interesting to see how the selection committee handles COVID, Jess, because normally, like we said, the Frozen Four is just determined by a function of all things. You just plug the numbers in the computer, it spits out 16 teams, and then you have your bracket. But now not only are you fighting to make the tournament, you're fighting for good seating. So not only am I worried about teams like, you know, Northeastern, Bemidji State, AIC, teams that might not even make the tournament. I think there's also fair reason to be concerned about teams like Boston University. Will they end up getting a three seed now? Minnesota Duluth, will they get home field? Will a team like Nebraska Omaha end up having to play a one seed in a regional? There's a lot of new factors we have to worry about, Jess. And now that it's in front of a person and not a computer... I think those middle-of-the-pack teams will have a lot to worry about and have their backs up against the wall next week. I think once we get to the tournament itself, I think people are going to be really happy to see it and may the best team win. That's going to do it for us. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Prospect Park for Jess and at Luke Legrano for myself. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrano. And I'm Jess Rubisi. Thank you for spending your time with us. We'll see you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Take care.